Ultra. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, we begin our mini-series on the Star Trek film franchise with the first movie adapted from the legendary Gene Roddenberry TV series. It's 1979's Star Trek, the motion picture. And we have a guest joining us today to talk about Cosmic Children, rewrites, and the greatest beard in cinema history, Chris O'Connor. Beam me up, Nick Jimenez. Bold choice wearing a Star Wars shirt on today's recording, Chris. <laughs> Oops. Oh, well. May the Force be with me, and may I live long and prosper. Gandalf. <laughs> so we're about to begin. Uh, we were just talking off mic. Uh, uh, our, our biggest voyage, maybe since the... X-Men series mm-hmm. um, or, you know, close to it in scope. Chris, would you mind speaking on a bit of your personal history with the Star Trek movies and this movie? Yeah. So the, uh, the Star Trek movies, um, it is hard to nail down like when I first saw them, because as a, as I uh, mentioned previously, my parents are both big Trekkies. Um, and uh, like some of my, you know, it's one of those things where I can't remember the first time I watched Star Trek, um, you know, the cartoon, the original series, the uh, the Next Generation. Uh, although I think I remember distinctly watching the premiere of the Next Generation because my parents were both very excited for that. Um, for the movies, I, I it, it must have been on as a VHS, like watching the motion picture, um, like uh, first at a at at my somewhat more well off relatives' houses. Um, and then eventually we, we had like all of the, uh, the, um, Star Trek movies in VHS. Uh, but I, I, I don't believe I've ever seen the motion picture on, on a, on the big screen. Um, and, uh, pretty, pretty sure I've only ever just watched it at home on VHS. And I don't, I don't know if I ever got it on DVD or, or Blu-ray and, and, and then, uh, I hadn't watched it in a long time. And of course watched it on the, on ye old Paramount Plus and, uh, had a, had a good time watching it there. And, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is, um, you know, as the old theory goes, this is one of the odd number Star Trek movies. So it's, you know, a Star Trek movie. (laughs) Uh, Scott, do you have a specific relationship with like Star Trek as a film franchise? Um, I know that, uh, I'm speaking of odd, uh, Star Trek movies. I know that the final frontier was one of the first movies I saw in theaters um, ever. My dad took me to see it. I remember those rocket mm-hmm. boots. Um, <laughs> That's and, the murder and, mystery one, right? 
No, 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 no. Uh, this no, is no, the. No, no. What does God need with a starship? Oh, yeah, God, this, this is the Shatner directed one that um, starts with. Uh, <laughs> that starts with. Um, Yosemite. Uh, the, the, the trilogy. Singing the, around the campfire. Yeah, the Trinity uh, singing around the campfire. And I've always associated that. That is like quintessential. Kirk, Spock, and Bones in my mind is them all singing mm-hmm. Row, Row Your Boat and, and you know, messing around. And it's because it's, like, one of the first instances of me, like, sitting down and paying attention to a Star Trek story yeah. um, is that one. So, I and it's because I saw it in theaters and I had no other choice but to <laughs> watch what was on the screen. <laughs> um But, uh, uh, so, yeah, so when people are always like, well, that's the worst Star Trek movie, I'm always just like, oh. It's got stuff in it that I like. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, row, row, row your boat. I can't help it. Um, but uh, uh, fan dance. In terms of this one, um, my dad never watched this one. Um, he didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't like it and uh, never watched it and would never. I think he watched it with me once, if I remember correctly, and I don't think mm-hmm. we made it through the whole thing. I think we got about Oof. halfway through, and he saw uh, how bored I was, and he was like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> I'm bored, too. We'll just stop. And so we just stopped. Uh, but I do remember uh, uh, his – it was in a hard shell case, VHS, this movie, and it had like like a plastic like wraparound thing on it that was just like a bar that like wrapped around it and it was like a a beige plain plastic case with like a plastic stripe around it that had the the was it like had the had the um uh like the poster art on it like wrapped mm. around to the back and that was like and then the spine that said you know star trek the motion picture but i remember that specifically it was like a like, clamshell like the puffy kind of thing like the old puffy ca- puffy cases or those sort of like Hard plastic, like hard plastic boxes. Yeah, okay. hard, hard, hard plastic. Um, All right. Yeah, like maybe from a video store. Well, no, no, no. It was because I think it was so old. It was like it was like one of the first like VHS releases where they're like they don't know how these are supposed trying to, to figure look out yet. the packaging. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I think they they were like, well, yeah, this ugly thing that'll be fine. It looks very protected. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it the even the box looks like it was straight out of the seventies. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. which in ge- in general, this movie, despite being a 1979 movie, looks firmly straight out of 74. Like, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty bad. <laughs> the VHS might as well have come in, like, a deep V-neck. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. With absolutely. some, uh, you know, some, some chest hair just kind of curling yeah. through. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. Wearing a gold medallion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this one, this one, um, yeah, I don't have the fondest memories of this, but I do remember um, when I revisited it, like when I when I revisited all of these movies again. I think before Beyond, like for the fiftieth, um, I think I went back and I watched all of the Star Trek movies and watch rewatching this one that time. I I had a renewed appreciation for it in in terms of like the. The sort of like Rod Serling esque story that it has to tell, and it really does feel like an episode of the show just expanded into two hours that it probably shouldn't have been expanded. Which is to. what it was. <laughs> That's part of the problem. <laughs> but it feels like a forty-five minute story. You know that <laughs> yeah. could have been really, really good as an episode of the show. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's very Twilight Zoney. Uh, this 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 story. Yeah. Um, in a way that I I kind of appreciate the twist. Yeah. Right. What about you, Nick? Um, 
So I'll share my origins on the Star Trek film franchise in a later movie because there is a very specific movie that I was introduced to, like Star Trek as a whole with. Uh-huh. Um, and I think like you, Scott, said with Final Frontier, it kind of colored what I would come to expect and love about Star Trek as a whole. Yeah, sure. Um, but I want to go a bit deeper into the store, into the the point in history that you mentioned. Uh, so it was the summer that uh, the summer of 2016, the summer that Star Trek Beyond was going to come out, like in late July. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so at that point, listeners, Scott and I have been Internet friends since 2006, seven, 2008, something like that. Yeah. Roundabouts. But yeah. uh, he and I didn't meet IRL until like late 2015. Mm hmm. Um, you know, we were able to see Force Awakens in the in the theater for reference. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. Oh, with Chelsea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And and so it was this cool period of you know discovering that this person that you know we were we had, were writing partners and we hadn't not shared personal information and talked about stuff that wasn't like movies and pop culture. But um, there was a point where I went to visit him in 2016, and we just happened to watch this movie together. Uh, at his old apartment. Oh. And that was the, my first time revisiting it since, you know, watching it on the floor on TV and being like, what the shit is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish I was high. I wish I knew yeah. what that was. <laughs> I wish I, my brain was working differently so I could enjoy this. <laughs> and I remember, like, you know, we had so much fun kind of, like, enjoying the movie and laughing at it, but then also, like, you know, appreciating stuff about it. Yeah. And then... That summer, we would independently watch the movies, like, you know, not, like, exactly on time with each other, but then we would, like, DM each other about them and, like, tweet and, like, kind of, That's like, right. and I remember that period being kind of, like, the the summer that we stopped just being online friends and actually started being, like, you know, one of, you know like, a, like a real friendship that yeah, I, I, I value yeah. to this day. And so, these specifically, these movies have, like, uh, like, emotional resonance with me. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I hadn't thought about that until like a couple of days ago. And I was like, when's the last time I watched this? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like, so cool. yeah, yeah, no. And, and like, you know, it's it's really cool. Star Trek means a lot of things to a lot of people. Like, Chris, you know, you said your parents are Trekkies growing up. Like, this is a, a generational thing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like. Even yeah. uh, that kind of that kind of is it seeks into where our story begins. If we don't mind going into like the history of the movie, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it begins at a fan convention <laughs> in in 1968 at the science fiction convention in Oakland, California. Uh, the show Star Trek was then in its third series, uh, height of its popularity, and Gene Roddenberry came on stage with a crowd of adoring fans and announced that. Uh, he would be pitching a Star Trek motion picture to Paramount that would tell the story of how Mr. Spock and Mr. Kirk and Mr. Bones <laughs> met at Starfleet Academy and became best friends. Uh -huh. Okay. And the crowd was like, that sounds awesome. What a great movie that'll be. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, uh, not long after that convention, the show was canceled in 1969. What a, what a great movie that'll be when we finally see it in the year 2009. Um, <laughs> yeah. It only no idea how long. 
Yeah, it only it only took forty years, 40 but we got there. Years later, yes. Uh, and and so uh, you know the show was canceled, and as such, any hopes of uh, of a Star Trek movie in the '60s coming out mm-hmm. uh, were dashed. But then, um, at some point late, a few years later, yes, in May of 1975, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the rerun was. Yes, exactly. And for, because of that, Paramount invited Gene Roddenberry back to the studio and was like, hey, syndication is doing really good things for the show. We actually think this could be a movie. Do you want to write it? And he said, hell yeah. And he goes and he writes a movie called The God Thing, <laughs> uh, which was about the Enterprise discovering that what humans perceived as God was actually this massive, dead, ancient spaceship. Mm. <laughs> And Paramount said, that doesn't sound like a good idea for a Star Trek movie. <laughs> um, are you, are you sure? Because that's most of the episodes of the show. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure that doesn't make a good Star Trek movie? <laughs> uh, I think the, the Paramount executives had a very like specific idea of what they thought would be a good Star Trek movie. Uh-huh. Right. And it's Not very different sure. from what everybody else working on Star Trek thinks. <laughs> And so the next attempt to make a Star Trek movie was uh, they uh, Paramount brought on the screenwriters of the what was then the hot new like horror thriller starring Donald Sutherland. Don't look now. Mm. Uh, Alan Scott and Chris Bryant. And they're like, hey, do you want to write a Star Trek movie? And they're like, hell yeah. And they come back Mm. with a movie called Planet of the Titans. um, In which the Enterprise somehow ends up in the ancient past. Are there kaiju? I don't believe so <laughs> um but they do inadvertently bring uh the invention of fire to mankind and you find out that kirk is the inspiration for the prometheus myth <laughs> this is, um, and at that <laughs> all right it's a good one it's very lofty very lofty idea <laughs> Yeah, can, can you just imagine? Yeah, of all the people to discover that they're like the inspiration for like a mythological. Anyway, well, and um, also also <laughs> having that realization and then being like, yeah, wow, crazy. Anyway, we got to go back to work and then getting back on the <laughs> ship and living the rest of your life, <laughs> knowing that. that you are the, the the start of the Prometheus. Whoops, <laughs> you gave fire to man. <laughs> Kirk would never be able to be in a relationship because as soon as he gets in a fight, yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, if it wasn't man. for me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't even be here. <laughs> we would all uh, still be hairy cave dwellers. <laughs> so Savannah Alan dwellers, Scott, I don't know. Yes. Uh, Alan Scott and Chris Bryant bring Planet of the Titans back to Paramount and Paramount says, you know what? Let's just make this a TV show again. <laughs> And uh, they began oh, work question. on what oh, who is is uh, uh, is who's running Paramount at this time? Oh, gosh, I, I didn't look that up, to be honest. I, I think it might be the the guy that um, I think it's I think it's Bob Evans. I think it's Robert Evans. Um, really? Yeah. Who from is Paramount the, Plus is the offer? Yes. From that. Exactly. Um, I think that's who is running <laughs> running it right now. Um, played uh, very famously now, I think, by. Matthew Good in uh, in the if offer. You want to live long and prosper in this town. You got to pay the dues <laughs> and pay them fast. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> they should just do a sequel to the offer with Matthew Good. 
<laughs> about the development oh, of Star Trek the motion picture. So <laughs> this is going to cost thirteen million dollars, right? Just thirteen million dollars? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> you it. got a deal. Oh man, you get you get Chris Pine, you get Zach Quinto, you get Carl Urban. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh man. Um, and so at that point, Paramount began work on what was known as Star Trek Phase Two, mm-hmm. um, a uh, a television spinoff of the original. Yes, working title. And so they went all out. <laughs> to be out fair, with it was never anything but a working title because the show <laughs> never happened. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, and so they hired uh, some really like heavy hitter science fiction and television writers to. Uh, write episodes for this spinoff, including Alan Dean Foster, mm-hmm. who wrote a lot of like early Star Trek novelizations. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Pretty sure um, I read a few of and those. A, yes. Uh, what was it? Splinter of a Mind's Eye. Right? Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. The original Star Wars sequel. Yeah. The Plan <laughs> B. Yeah. Plan they B. They weren't brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a character who plays very prominently into our story today, Harold Livingstrom. Um. A, no- a successful novelist and TV writer. So uh, Livingstrom was the one who wrote the uh, pilot episode of Star Trek Phase Two, In Thy Image, in which the this new crew on this new version of the Enterprise would come across an ancient space probe from an unknown origin and then ultimately discover that, holy crap, it's the Voyager probe. <laughs> That got you know caught in a yeah. right in a wormhole or whatever yeah and uh, but then a little a funny thing happened at the movies in between this time or more specifically two funny things the first funny thing was the release of Star Wars in 1977 <laughs> Natch huge movie blockbuster uh, never heard blew of it. JJ yeah, blew <laughs> JJ Abrams' mind yeah <laughs> so much so that he would make a Star Trek movie <laughs> they, they yeah. spent eleven million dollars on it <laughs> yes yeah. Uh, and more importantly, arguably, just a few months later, the release of Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it was with uh, the success of that movie that they were like, okay, this is more than a fluke. Sci-fi's Audiences, back, baby. Sci-fi is back, and we have a big sci-fi in our garage that we haven't you know, not, used in not a Not doing time. anything with. <laughs> yes. Hey, you know, I got a big sci-fi in my garage right over here. <laughs> Freak it out. Get it off the truck, Mac. <laughs> it's so um, interesting that the the concept of of of, you know, studios and their their um sort of like uh, uh rejection and acceptance of science fiction as like yes, yeah. as like uh, uh, uh filmic stories. Um, is really interesting because, like, it, yeah, like the idea of like, oh, this isn't just a fluke. We had Star Wars and then Close Encounters back to back, but then you also like back in 1969, right when, um, right when Star Trek was getting canceled, you had back to back hits of Planet of the Apes and 2001: A Space Odyssey, um, right? Which I think we can all see one to one in terms of like inspiration <laughs> from 2001 to this. Yeah. Um, um, and even also greater the than twist inspiration in in Planet of the Apes, like that that sort of yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And that movie being such a big pop culture crossover hit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it it wasn't just like a coastal hit. It really crossed into, you know, became like a pop culture because those monkeys were really good actors. 
They were. They, were <laughs> they scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> I re- uh, anytime I think of that first Planet of the Apes movie, like I, I so desperately want to go to a theater to see it just so I can like one day like recreate it with my recreate that scene from Mad Men with my son. Yeah. Oh, just like, sit here and watch it again. <laughs> you want to watch it again? <laughs> what? <laughs> we don't have to leave? No. Yeah. Sadly, maybe his finest moment as a father. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's accurate. Uh, and so this is where it gets a little complicated. So due to contract reasons and hullabaloo, Paramount uh, allowed the writers to continue to write episodes for Star Trek Phase 2 already knowing they were going to pivot into (laughs) making a movie. Mm -hmm. So they said, hey, at one point we are making a movie. We know you've been developing sets and costumes and concept images. So we're going to scavenge that for whatever we need, Um, including, you know, the plot of In Thy Image, which became the plot of the movie. Um several sets like the set of the bridge of the enterprise that was going to be the set for phase two this Mm -hmm. that you know a lot of that and there's and there's a lot to be said about all of this stuff that we'll i'm sure that we'll get into but like yeah when you when you talk about all of these being sort of conceptualized for a tv series and then turned into a movie right Mm -hmm. i think they they really do a great job of like upping the the budget of everything and making it all look very sort of expensive and, and, and grandiose. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the absolute tastelessness of the colors and ever, and like, just like everything being beige and like the worst ugh, costumes, just, yeah, the worst <laughs> costumes. I think it's unanimous. Ever. I think everyone, everyone agrees that these are the worst costumes, but if you, realize that a little show is on the air called Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> and you think of this, these as a TV show, a TV show costumes. It makes a lot more sense because it's like, Oh, you look at what Battlestar Galactica is doing. All of their costumes are butt ugly, like beige yeah. Yeah. garbage as well. It was like yeah. the seventies. That's what seventies TV looked like. Sci-fi TV. So yeah, I just think that that's really interesting. It doesn't work at all in a movie. Um, because I think it looks like they're all wearing pajamas. Yeah. Uh, but Because you get to see uh, that awful costume on the big screen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, was for definitely some reason, the, the costumes remind me of Teddy Ruxpin. I don't know why. That's what, <laughs> what I think of when I look at them. So uh, costumes were designed by uh, Robert Fletcher. Who had Good primarily job, worked in yeah? Who primarily worked in the ballet and the opera? Oh, that makes um, a lot of sense. Okay, yes. okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh god. So and and the concept, like the concept of these costumes, were they wanted to be made out of organic materials this time mm-hmm. and natural materials, and they wanted it to be more conspicuous. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like as this culture becomes <sighs> more and more like. As this like utopian society progresses, they stop seeing the need for like we don't need colors to differentiate rank. Everyone's just gonna kind of <laughs> wear cream, and it's all gonna be loose and baggy. It's, yeah, it's definitely Duh, like, comrade. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. the most like hippy dippy like uh, Star Trek movie. Like this is definitely the most like I feel like this is like Gene Roddenberry's like ideal scenario for Star Trek yeah, is like right. this movie. Like this is what it should always it's- look and feel like. 
isn't this like the first and only one where he had like complete creative control? Like, cause he got kind of cut off for the second one, didn't he? Yes. Well, complete creative control is, is an interesting statement, Chris. <laughs> um, cause this movie was sort of in constant, uh, chaos because of, uh, the sort of weird dead way four way split of creative control mm. between, you know, Roddenberry, the director, Robert Weiss, chosen from a list of uh, incredible directors, including Coppola, Spielberg, Scorsese. Like, they were really oh, wow. swinging for the fence. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Weiss was like an old war horse, you know, just old, reliable. Um, if I could give an MVP award to any person on this particular movie, it would definitely be Robert Weiss. Um, yeah. Producer, Je- producer Jeffrey Katzenberg credits him for actually, like, getting the movie in on time without, like, anybody jumping out of a window. <laughs> uh, Robert Weiss, I mean, he'd been around forever at this point. This is like one of his like last movies, right? If mm-hmm. I remember yeah. correctly, like he retired shortly after this. Um, yes. Yeah. This was an exhausting experience for him. I could only imagine because he did. I believe it. Which, which haunting movie did he do? He did Hill House or. Oh, goodness gracious. He um, did one of those. Gosh. Um, like Vincent Price. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did one of those. Wow. Like big time. Um, big time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the haunting. Uh, sorry, 1963. I'm, I'm, yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Wow. And like, uh, born to kill the body snatcher. Just one of those, one of those guys at West side story, the sound yeah. of music. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are the oh. three that, that he's most notable for. I think are, are, um, West side story, uh, sound of music and, and the haunting. And then this Star mm-hmm. Trek, the motion picture. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you and, know what? Uh, you know what this movie could use a couple of song and dance numbers <laughs> <laughs> on the recreation <laughs> deck. It would have been perfect. Yeah, yes. I'm so, sure Ilya uh, could mo- sing. <laughs> and Paramount was very aware of the, you know, the significance, or at least they were trying to hype up the significance of this movie. On March 28th of 1978, a press conference was held in the same studio of Paramount where Cecil B. DeMille announced that he would be directing the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and it was at that press conference that they announced that Robert Weiss, director of West Side Story and The Sound of Music, would be directing Star Trek, the motion picture, and it would be coming out in December of 1979. Wow. Yes. Um, and then became then begat the hellish writing process. <laughs> um, in the words of producer, uh, a producer at one point described that. Because, yeah, it was basically <laughs> Nimoy and Shatner both had creative control over the script. <sighs> Mm-hmm. At, at that press conference, is that where they announced like the budget? We're like, we're going to do this for thirteen million dollars, right? Yeah. So what they so. like set up front, yeah. And it would end up being <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the the writing process for the, the Roddenberry did not get along with Livingstrom. Uh, the two just had very fundamentally different ideas about what this movie was, what Star Trek was. Yeah. Um, and the writing process would continue well into filming. Filming began on August 7th, 1978. Uh, in a fun show of respect, Gene Roddenberry presented director Robert Weiss with a cap given to him by the captain of the real USS Enterprise. Nice. The aircraft carrier. Uh, Chris, Scott, you want to know who else served on the real USS Enterprise around that time in the mid-1970s? Sure. Yes, I do. My dad. Oh, what? wow. What? <laughs> he was uh, a brown shirt, 
aboard the USS Enterprise. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, just a weird, I was like, oh my God, it might have been the same captain. That's crazy. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. Uh. But like, yeah, uh, and so the, the writing process, in, even, even into filming, so what would happen is they would start filming, and then Shatner and Nimoy would meet at the end of the day and talk mm-hmm. about what, what was filmed that day. And then Nimoy would meet with Livingstrom after the fact and rewrite the next day's pages. <laughs> and then Roddenberry would rewrite <laughs> those, those rewrites. And then Shatner would have to look at it. Well, then it would get to Robert Weiss. <sighs> Um, a, a, a producer uh, had this memory of, you know, Weiss would come to set, you know, already well into his life, you know, not a young director, yeah. but yeah. Mm-hmm. full of energy. Let's do it. Let's make a movie. And by the oh, end of the oh. day, he would just be broken. And oh. like, never in my, never in my 35 years have I made a movie like this. Oh. Um, but it got done. Uh, filming was it long, did. last lasting over 125 days. Um, this was largely because Weiss insisted on shooting no more than 12 hours on a single day, uh, claiming that after 12 hours he was just like not going to be worth anything to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Smart guy. That's good. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, uh, and people remember, you know, even Katzenberg was like, you know, he never lost his cool, you know, stiff upper lip. Let's get it done. But uh, yeah, and this was a very technical heavy film uh, a lot of like cool stuff that I'll bring up during the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit, if I may, about the uh, special effects, sure. kind of a cool story that kind of places it in cinematic history. Um, so two people were ho- asked by Paramount to work on the special effects for this movie separately. Mm-hmm. Um, first, John Dykstra famous for working on star Wars uh, Dykstra was busy at the time, wasn't able to do it, can't do it. Oh. Uh, next person they asked was Douglas Trumbull, oh, yes. who had uh, worked on the special effects for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. And uh, Trumbull at that point was very uh, ambitiously seeking to direct his own movie at Paramount. And he was like, no, I want to be a, my own director, I want to be a filmmaker, I don't want to do Star Trek, Sorry. And they're like, well, crap, who are we going to get to do the, uh, the special effects for this movie? So Paramount ultimately went to a, uh, a small special effects company called Robert Abel and Associates. Okay. They're like, hey, can you work on the special effects for our Star Trek? <laughs> Do <you> recognize <laughs> that name? <laughs> yes. Well, after over a year and $5 million mm-hmm. funneled into Abel and Associates, there was no usable footage. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> and they were like, what are you guys doing? And then eventually Abel and Associates like kind of ghosted Paramount. Wow. <laughs> um, they ended up selling the equipment that Paramount provided. <coughs> Whoa. Whoa. I, I really, I did not a, uh, not an insignificant amount of research trying Piracy. to find out if Paramount, like, yeah, did Paramount end up pursuing legal action against these guys? Yeah. But I never heard about it. I mean, I didn't see anything in my research. Yeah. Um, so now they're like, you know, five million in the hole. The movie's coming out in like a year at this point. Post-production would end up lasting twice as long as principal photography, by the way. Makes sense. And they were, and they were like, uh, what are we going to do? So they go back to Doug Trumbull. Yeah. And they say, hey, Doug Trumbull, uh, you know that movie that we greenlit for you to direct? It's dead. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, 
we we will give you an unlimited budget to work on the effects for Star Trek the motion picture. The only catch is you have nine months. And Trumbull agreed, but uh, upon looking at the work in front of them, he said, my team isn't going to be able to do this in nine months. I'm going to need to hire a bigger crew. So he goes to John Dykstra <laughs> and his, <laughs> his, his 60-person effects team uh, uh, called Apogee. And yeah. between the two of them, they end up dividing the work. Uh, Trumbull would principally work on the Vidger satellite, but... Uh-huh. Uh, he would also play a heavy hand in the celebrated slash infamous Enterprise montage. Oh <laughs> yes, uh, which we'll talk Starship about because that was that was his <laughs> um that was his sort of um like specialty was was uh, miniatures right because he did he did yes. all the miniature work on Back to the Future the ride. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. so and. And like, you know, he he argued like, hey, Close Encounters, like, yeah, that was great. But I had years to work on that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be able to. So, but most of the ships and stuff, like the Klingon Warbird, a lot of the Enterprise stuff, a lot of that is John Dykstra. Yeah. Um. So it's pretty cool. Like how, you know, he's kind of ironic how these two special effects legends ended up working on this movie. Yeah. Um. Then a final note on the score. This is the first of many Star Trek scores that would be composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roddenberry first approached Jerry Goldsmith to score the cage, the two, uh, the two part Star Trek pilot back in 1960, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but Goldsmith was unavailable. And so when it came time to score the movie, uh, Weiss reached out or, uh, Roddenberry reached out to Jerry Goldsmith again. And when Paramount asked, uh, Robert Weiss, who had worked with Jerry Goldsmith on a, the Academy Award nominated movie, the Sand Pebbles. Hey, would you like to work with Jerry Goldsmith again? Weiss replied, quote, Hell yeah, that guy's awesome. <laughs> That's wow. great. That's great. <laughs> and it was a big uh, musical upgrade, uh, not for nothing. Yeah. And it would not it would be, you know, Goldsmith would go on to score almost like half the Star Trek movies, I think. Yeah. And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Among other stuff, yeah. Right. For sure. Uh and would uh would would create a theme here that would become the theme of Star Trek the Next Generation, which is always so that weird and off putting watching it in this. Yes. Because yes. I hadn't watched this in, in like maybe twenty years. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a long time. But I yeah. put it on and I was like, wait, does it really just start like this? Like just the, the the opening credits and this is the this is the next generation theme. What's going on? I don't remember this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't remember I it had, being this way. <laughs> I kind of have beef with that. Just decision, and maybe this is just my modern sensibilities. But wow. if I'm, I, I, I think about if I was like a Trekkie, right, in the '60s, yeah, like a real Trekkie, like writing letters and all that stuff, yeah. And I and sit down at the thick. movie theater, yes, like the whole nine yards, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like about to watch the Star Trek movie. I kind of paid money to hear the Star Trek theme on the big screen. Well, but then that's that. Uh, Giacchino knows that, and he, I think he felt that, and and he, so he was like, "No, we're we're going back to the OG, and I'm gonna orchestrate that thing." Um, and he kills it. Feel? He kills it. No, I agree. You don't like that original theme? 
Chris? Well, no, I, I mean, I like, I certainly like, uh, you know, how it's been sort of resampled and reused. But like, you know, going back and listening to the one from the '60s with like, you know, sort of the the theremin and water harp and the little sort of bongos in the background, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's kind of like it's, it's, it's a, it is a, a product of its time. Yeah. And I can certainly see your position that if I were a fan from the '60s who was going to be like so excited to see Star Trek the motion picture, and then it comes up and the music isn't what I expect, maybe I'd be thrown. But being somebody who was born, you know, well after the series and this movie came out and, and having watched The Next Generation, like, I'm glad it's this music. This, is, this music is better. It's, it's better music, just qualitatively, oh, yeah. period. The score for sure. You know, uh, yeah. longtime listeners may know, I, I make a habit of listening to the score for the movie as I'm doing notes. And what's weird is the Star Trek theme is in this movie. It hmm. a- a- appears in the scenes where Kirk is making his his captain's logs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you hear like the wisps of it. And it's just such a it's such a choice that wouldn't be made now, I think, of like not including the iconic TV theme or whatever. Yeah, my my issue with with the with the theme in this movie being used in this movie is is um it makes the movie feel like it's going to be a lot more exciting than it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's such a good theme. And then you get a lot of five minute like long yeah. shots of it's, ships it's like, going through clouds. It's a big bombastic um, theme. The opening of it, it's obviously meant to be like it's it's riffing on Star Wars and Superman. Superman was also yeah, riffing on yeah. Star Wars, but it's like yeah. the back to back of those and they're like, we're gonna do that. Um and that's what this is supposed to be. But mm-hmm. yeah, it just it 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 is promising a movie that it is not going to deliver. <laughs> um there's a last story I'll share before we get into our breakdown. <clears throat> Uh, producer John Pavel shared the story. And by the way, shout out to our Patreon listeners. Uh, because of your loyal uh, you know, service, we were able to supply me with a big old Blu-ray box set of the original Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was holding that in my hands, it really hit me that I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was like, there's no, there's no going back. Yeah, like I own this. <laughs> Send him a slide rule. Get it over with. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, but producer uh, John Pavel and his wife and Gene Roddenberry saw the completed movie like shortly before its release on the Paramount lot. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, they all looked at each other and said, let's get drunk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> I think Bob. That sounds like something Bob Evans would say. So I, uh, yeah. Well, I will say, I I think now is the best time to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Be- because like I I kind of I kind of loved this. I loved the audacity of it. Yeah, and it's so slow and thoughtful and yeah. weird and psychedelic. In Please. in re- in retrospect, knowing that we got you know. 40 more years of Star Trek and the, and the, and the franchise is going strong. Like you can look at it on it on its own and be like, you know, this is a fun little installment in Star Trek. You know, it's an interesting choice it's very different from the other movies. Um, you know, you can see what they're doing and what's different and how things changed and how it affected things that came later. And you can sort of take it in isolation and be like, ah, right, that's cool. But at the time, like if I was one of those like uh big time Star Trek fans and then I get this, I might, might also want to get drunk. Uh, Absolutely, Chris. Like, I agree totally because, like, yeah, that December of 1979, there were people who were bringing their children. Mm. Like, 
come, come children. This is Chris. We're going to watch the Star Trek movie and we're going to be taken away on a rip roaring adventure with Mr. Bones and Mr. Spock and Mr. Kirk. And, you know, like eight minute shots of just a a model going forward towards another model. Yeah. Oh, God. And it kind of made me it made me even like recontextual. Like, what do we say when we mean spectacle? Like, mm-hmm. why, why isn't this? Because the mood they're going for, and you know, Doug, Doug Trumbull said, especially with the Enterprise thing, epic, like, I wanted to ominous, epic, awe, otherworldly. Yeah. There's a Lovecraftian side of this movie, even. Yes, that I appreciate yes. It. But why is so much of it inert to so many audiences? You know, you know. I mean, watching it on a TV screen, you know, even with my 60 inch screen, even watching it in most movie theaters, I don't know if even watching it. I mean, you know what I think would be a great experience for this and like the V'ger experience and the idea of a cloud that's you know larger than our solar system um, mm-hmm. is like a virtual reality kind of experience of like putting yourself into the, into Spock, like you know, flying into the cloud right. and just being able to look around and be like, oh. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought multiple times I would love to see this in IMAX 3D, but I have to be in the minority on that. Yeah. Th- this is the kind of movie. I-, I feel like this is the kind of movie that the Cinerama Dome is like made for. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Like seeing this at the at the dome would be, oh, man. But, uh, but I agree with you, Chris. Like in a world where I can on the same app watch like Lower Decks or like Voyager you know, like the 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 palette yeah. of Star Trek is so wide now that I think now you know maybe a fan could appreciate this for what it is and maybe kind yeah. of like, okay, like this isn't Wrath of Khan, but I can watch Wrath of Khan. <laughs> the the <laughs> fact that this movie exists in the same franchise where an episode of Voyager is the whole ship is uh, turning into horny lizards, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's just like <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it was, just uh, runs the, the gamut. Lizards, it was uh, Paris and Janeway, right? Like they yeah. reproduced. Okay, cool, great, awesome. Yeah, you know, I I, I say this yeah. on our versus episode, or, or or my versus episode, I should say that you know uh, the one that, that you guys were were hosting on is like I consider myself more of a Star Wars kid. Like I grew up watching Star Wars, yeah. but I love that Star Trek can do things like this. Yeah, because like. I don't think Star Wars could even try to make something like Star Trek the motion picture. Well, as we've as we've it could it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, right. well as we've learned it seems like it's just not as pliable of a franchise as Star Trek mm-hmm. is. Um and that all comes from the fact that Star Trek started off as a space procedural. You can right. do <laughs> lots of stuff when your whole concept is based around the fact of it being a space procedural. You can yeah. Go into all co- you can have a comedy episode and you know a horror yeah. episode and whatever and so you can be all of these things at the same time or uh, you know at in, in different turns. Whereas Star Wars has only ever been one thing, and that's I think the difference. I I would I would love to see some sort of a Star Wars property that effectively is that that has like some ship in the Star Wars galaxy that's like hey let's go exploring and oh oops we're in a bottle episode oh oops we're inside a nebulous cloud oh oops we've discovered an ancient civilization that's out to destroy us oh oops yep. we you know, they're, you know they're, <clears throat> I'm God they could do it but they haven't well I mean and I don't that's think they're essentially gonna. what Rebels is I mean kind of. Mm. Um, Star Wars Rebels, uh, the the animated series, but like that's animated. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. It's like they keep firing no people that even attempt to 
like really shake the boat over there. Right. And like, mm. I'm hoping, you know, you got Taika Waititi developing his thing and you got uh, that John Watts show coming out. Yeah. You got Rogue Squadron. But yeah, like I when I when I was wrapping up this movie, this like long, sometimes boring, <laughs> befuddling, aud- audacious movie, yeah. I was like, holy shit, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do okay, what they want. So- yeah. <laughs> so the Star Trek Star Trek the motion picture begins with a two minute overture. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's just I a think... black screen with text. Yeah. Well, not no, no, no. Not even no, no, a particularly no sexy font. <clears throat> no text. No font. Now, that's not what no. I'm talking about. I'm talking oh, okay. about oh, the okay. two minute overture. Oh, yeah. yeah of just yeah, yeah. space. <laughs> right. Right. The cloud and the Klingons. And just no, law. no. Just space. What? Just space. Is that space? I can't even remember cut? that. Yeah, I, maybe that is just the director's cut. I don't know, but it's it is. I watched a, it on it, Paramount Plus. Yeah, so then you, you. There was a part where it was just the camera receding, and you just saw space, space, and just it, rolling space. For I like saw two a bit of that, but minutes. I don't think I saw two minutes. Yeah, two full minutes of rolling space with an overture. It was like and that it, would be it, the it, director's cut, and then it faded down. Yeah, and then the Paramount okay. logo st- came up. Oh wow! Yes. Okay. No, that's not what I saw. Um, and like overture, you know, to say okay, an overture is when you get a little sampler, tasty tease of every song in the soundtrack. Yeah. I don't even think that's what this was. It kind of felt just this, like score. Yeah, this felt like it, it really did feel like it was like, hey, everybody, movie's about to start. Strap in, get ready, and the concessions. Let's all go to the lobby. Leah, lobby. let's get it. Let's 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 get settled and and get ready because you're gonna want to focus because this movie's <laughs> long and boring. A lesson. It's a, it's a lesson. <laughs> yes. They kind of got to lull you. They kind of like, like bring your, your yeah. BPM down. We are. Yeah, we're training you how to watch this movie. <laughs> let, those, let those edibles kick in. Yeah. 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 We know you're all hyped up. You're all ready to go. So we're just going to kind of just coax you in. Look at space. Yeah. Never ending. <laughs> chill. Just chill. Um, so, so yeah, so we get the, we, we, we get the opening credit sequence, um, which is very next generation. Uh, and then we move on to Klingons in space and we get our first look generation, first look at the new Klingons, um, the non brown face, non Fu Manchu (laughs) Klingons. Um, they've, they've added now, now with forehead ridges. Um, yeah. Yeah, Ma- makeup improved. That's, that's Remember Klingons? Good. They're back in forehead ridges form. <laughs> um, <laughs> now with ruffles. Yes. <laughs> now the language wasn't introduced in the movie, right? The language is from the show. I feel like it was introduced here. I I, I don't okay. remember them speaking another language in the TV show. I don't remember any of the aliens really speaking another language in the TV show. Yeah, very much. I, I don't know. Like in this, yeah, the '60s was kind of a lazy time. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, production, um, right? I don't um, think so. Yeah, I think this might have been the start of the Klingon language here. There may have there may have been like a couple phrases or like you know sort of like things that they're like, "Hey, actor, say something that sounds vaguely alien," and then right, you know yeah. they say something, and then fans like more K's bid on that. <laughs> yeah. 
So the uh, the Klingons are, are 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 bumming around Klingon space as as they yeah. want to do, and they uh, come across a big cloud, and uh, like Klingons do, uh, they're like, "What should we do with this thing that we don't recognize or don't understand? Let's shoot it!" <laughs> and so shoot it. That's, yeah, that's the so answer. They, they throw a few torpedoes into it, and then the thing eats the torpedoes essentially, and they're like. <laughs> yeah. You know what else we should do? Retreat. We should get out of here because I don't know how to react to that. <laughs> oh, oops. Today is not a good day to die. No. <laughs> we pissed it off. I think the we synthesizer made it cloud is mad. You know, it's um, funny you say that, Chris. Uh, just a quick note. This score actually is partly responsible for popularizing the synthesizer. Oh. That makes sense. That makes sense. Nice. Um, oh, you know how they did that? They literally would hit metal wires. Awesome. And, like it would that reverberate. And that, yeah. Incredible. I, and this is something that's going to crop up a few times in, in this movie, but uh, those, those costumes for the Klingons, you know, apart from the forehead ridges being a thing that became, you know, the Klingons forever after um, until, you know, Star Trek discovery, uh, those uniforms specifically on that set, were in use uh, like for the shows till like 1999. Yeah, those very those same wow. costumes like that were yeah. you see on the screen. That nice. makes kept them that in wardrobe out. for like 30 years. That checks out. <laughs> 20 um, years. But uh, uh, yeah, and then so we. What I love is like, hey, you ready for this? Klingons, right? Trekkies. <laughs> anyway, you're never gonna see them again. Um, <laughs> and then San they Francisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We give you a little tease up front, and then that's it. That's all we got for you. Um, uh, so uh, whenever, sorry, please. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh uh, no. Well, you know, are, are we going to say like we cut to Earth? Yeah, yeah. Well, we cut to the to the Federation uh, Federation uh, space on uh, yeah. outpost, a uh, listening post. Yeah, yeah. With lots and lots of uh, radio chatter in the background. It's just oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool. That was a cool model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a cool model. Was cool. I did not like that bridge, and like everybody, like as bad as all the uniforms are throughout the whole show, uh, the the people on that bridge looked particularly uh, just very unstylish. Mm-hmm. Definitely, <laughs> almost That's as though they like... deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the job, the Starfleet job that you can't even really brag about, right? Yeah, um, I'm a listening post. Five, three, well, five. I mean, I guess, I guess in theory, this is like what. Yahora would be like trying to build toward is like running one of those outposts, right? That's like oh, that'd probably yeah. be like the tippy top of like a communications officer, right? Maybe you would think yeah, signals intelligence. Yeah. Um, in any event, uh, they find out about the cloud. It destroys a bunch of ships, and yeah. this plot, this sort of like oh no, using a bolt of like plasma energy. Um, and, uh, they're like, it's, this thing's headed toward Earth. Abrams lens flares weaponized. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, this, this is, uh, headed toward Earth. Um, so that's probably going to be a problem for, uh, for everybody. Uh, (laughs) we should tell someone. Um, and then we cut to, uh, the planet Vulcan. And this is like, I I feel like after, after the, the, the Klingons, we cut to Vulcan. I'm like, okay, we're in Star Trek. This is Star Trek. Yeah, Um, right. This is the cover of a pulp novel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Spock is looking metal as fuck with his long hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he looks like a metal god. <laughs> it's so interesting to think about 
I just kept thinking about what it would be like to watch this night one at the movies, like being a Trekkie and like seeing like this being your first image of Spock after however many years of like, oh, wow, he's like crackling like hair go long. Yeah, he's been wisey on Vulcan because like does the series end with everybody splitting up or does it just kind of yeah. end with everyone? No, it, it got canceled. So it just stops. Yeah, it just ends. It didn't have a yeah. proper yeah. ending. Yeah, there's still voyaging and then stuff happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is Yosemite Park as uh, the planet Vulcan. Mm. Um, so this uh, this elder, what we find out is that he's like sort of um, been learning how to purge all of his remaining emotions uh, <laughs> because luck. he's sort of giving himself over to his Vulcan side um, Pure and, logic. And, and becoming sort of like fully Vul Vulcan at this point. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're like, congratulations, you've done it. We're going to put this necklace on, and once we do, it's going to suggest that you no longer have emotions. Congratulations, Spock. You're a pure. And he's like, wait, I sent something, but not my Vulcan side, my human side. I can't have that necklace. And she's like, you're right. Anyway, <laughs> live long and prosper. We'll see you later. What a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, what a disappointment. Um but you know Vulcan. he's he's uh, he's still in touch with his human side. He can't help it. But that's like that. I, I literally think this scene is very specifically calling out all those fan fiction fans because that was like the thing that they like super glommed onto is like that dichotomy of like someone who doesn't want to have uh, emotions, right? Doesn't want to have feelings for Kirk, but like. That human Can't side of him, that, that animalistic thing, like it's, you know, it's very sexy and very horny and like, you know, and, <laughs> and so like, I think that this scene is literally just Repressed here for them. emotions. Yeah, this is here for them. Yeah. I wasn't even planning on watching it through that lens, um, like the Kirk and Spock of it all. Yeah. But so much of this movie is about two exes, like <clears throat> bumping into each other, like, years after the fact and realizing oh my god a lot of these emotions haven't really they're not gone they're still there oh yeah it's not over oh yeah 100 percent. but that being said i really i find spock's connection with vidger really compelling and interesting yeah. yep and so i also like the reading that he's he's sensing vidger yeah yeah i don't I, is that a, I don't think that's a reading i think that's yeah, that's like, what he explicitly yeah, says yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, sure. yeah. it's pretty yeah it's, it's not subtext it's text yeah, text. yeah. <laughs> but I also like my boyfriend needs me. I have to go. <laughs> yeah. So then, so yeah. So he says, my boyfriend needs me. I have to go. And then cut to San Francisco. Yeah. Gosh. Um, Gosh. I, I like that I they love, bring back that theme please. to use it as like regular score at some point. Yeah, that's true. All throughout. I love, I love Starfleet Earth. I love, I, it's just, it's, it's nice. why I, I want a Starfleet Academy series so bad. There's that there's that rumor that there's one in development from uh uh the creator of the OC. Um Josh Schwartz. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, there's uh, that great uh lower decks joke where Mariner's like, I don't I can't go to Earth. There's nothing to do there except go to wineries and jazz clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh so yeah, they're in uh they're in San Francisco. And honestly, this is the most like Epcot like yeah, 70s yeah. world of tomorrow it's <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's a theme park uh, it is it is but it's very specifically like 70s future and so it's like that yeah. opening days of epcot is what it looks come on like. everyone let's go to carousel yes <laughs> absolutely that would be um, a really interesting story 
storytelling device in a Star Trek movie, like an animatronic that kind of took you through like first contact onward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh man, if Disney World just continued to exist in the Star Trek universe and then Epcot funny, Center is like it's instead of a Hall of Presidents, you know, you have like the <laughs> funny you should say that because um there is a there there's an episode of um of uh I think it's the I actually think it's the season premiere um of uh Lower Decks. They need a, a ship so they they go to a uh, uh, first contact theme park. Um <laughs> and and uh, they That's get great. in like a recreation of of the ship that uh, Cochrane built, um, and there's nice, like man. a there's like a holographic uh, Cochrane like in the pilot. And he's like, "All right, gang, are we ready to rock?" And then like hits like the <laughs> the rock and roll CD. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah, I can't wait. It's like a ride. <laughs> yeah, I have not watched Lower Decks at all, but I I saw Paul's eyes showed. Oh man, it's so good. It's so funny. Um, we meet uh, maybe the most unlucky person in yep. Starfleet. Yes. Oh, God, yes. It's the <laughs> thing that I always forget about this movie. Um, so, so yeah. So, so, first, we're introduced to Admiral James T. Kirk um, mm-hmm. here coming off of uh, coming off some nice some nice PT. Looks like some nice PT. Um, Age, don't worry about it. Yep. Doing well. Doing well. Yep. Comes uh, strutting off that thing and runs into his uh, Vulcan science officer, Commander Sonic. So he's just like replaced <laughs> Spock wholesale. He's got a Spock too. Yeah, there's um, got to be a Vulcan on the bridge, right? <laughs> Give me a Vulcan. They're my favorite. And and yeah, so we tell to say yeah, yeah. So so we basically we find out that the Enterprise has been docked for 18 months as it's been going through refurbishment. Um, mm-hmm. In order to go out on a uh, phase two of its five year mm-hmm. mission, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, has a new captain in the form Ooh. of Captain Decker, um, who yeah. is an actor that we probably shouldn't really talk about much. No, um, but but it's interesting, Scott. Like you're right on the money. Like there is a meta narrative of both in the movie and in real life. Kirk kind of stole this mission from the character of Decker. Yes. Yeah. Like Decker was going to be in phase two. Um, mm-hmm. Aaliyah was going to be in phase two. And like, they just get totally like Mario Kart bumped by Kirk. Yeah. And, and please. Oh, and, and, and just sort of like going back to, you know, how the Klingon uniforms were in use for 20 years, like the idea of, of Decker and Aaliyah, like that story, they're like, well, we put it in the movie, but they didn't get to have their romance. So uh, Riker and Troy, Yep. Like, you know, seven years later, they just rewrite, you know, Will Will Decker, Will Riker, and then, you know, Delta and, and Beta Z, whatever. It's the same thing. Delta uh, Delta and Beta, both Greek letters, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, they recycling. Went, they went with uh, with Empath with uh, with Deanna Troy instead of uh, Sex Monster with, uh, <laughs> 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 however... <laughs> It's just like you have to Whatever have an oath of celibacy is. to be on this crew, because if not, if you have sex, the whole crew is going to go ape shit, man. <laughs> because Wait, that, that, that is the second species. thing she tells Kirk. <laughs> yeah. And oh, it was amazing. Right. Uh, yeah. I was like, uh. is she saying that because it's like, I know who you are? <laughs> yeah, it's her species. Her species. Not if paying her, attention? Yeah, if her species <laughs> has sex, it will cause yeah. the entire 
crew of the ship to become like horny monster sex monsters, basically. Um, cool, 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 and cool, there's cool. just like we can't afford that, so like you need to be celibate as long as you're on. That oh has God. to be that has to be an episode of Lower Decks at some point, right? <laughs> oh <laughs> man, right? It's got to be. <laughs> Let's bring back this thing that was a terrible idea. Yeah, because <laughs> I think she's the only one of her kind that we ever see, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, like what she eventually becomes later in the in the movie is a is sort of like proto Borg, um, in a yeah. lot of ways. Oh, all of this. Um, is yeah, you're right. Yeah, but uh, but this this early part is she goes from proto Deanna Troy to proto Borg, Pro, yeah. proto seven of nine in the back half. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Complete Gosh, with absurd yeah. outfit. Yep. A yep. lot of this is like rough draft next gen. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Um, big and time. a lot of the same sets too. Uh, so yeah, so they're preparing to leave dry dock and they're getting all their systems, uh, back online. And, uh, Kirk is like, we're going, I'm going now. We're going to leave now. We got to go because there's like this <laughs> cloud or some shit. And I, we got to find out what that is. Uh, it's going to so be here in three days. Minutes, and also I'm desperate to get yeah. the fuck off of this planet. Or <laughs> 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 oh, I'm so bored. <laughs> uh, and he meets um, Scotty at the, at the, yeah. the, the pod or whatever. Yeah, ah, and, you uh, know this is my yeah. brain. When I think of you know Montgomery Scott, I always think of movie James Duhon. Mm-hmm. Yes, hundred percent. That's that's yeah. That's just who Scotty is to me. Yeah, he's, he's got a he's got a lot more character in the movie. He, he's more memorable in the movies right. than he was in the show. Speaking into the it mouth, is... hello computer. <laughs> that's <laughs> oh man, I can't. How wait. do we know he didn't invent the thing? <laughs> Oh god. But, but yeah, it is something whenever I go back and watch the show, I am surprised at how dry Scotty is compared to his his movie. Yeah, yeah. I one of the things that I do really like about this movie is that the higher budget um and the pacing of this movie forces them to like figure out how things work a little bit more in detail mm-hmm. than they ever did in the show right and so like yeah. the transporter this in- initial transporter shot of kirk being transported onto the uh the space station before taking the shuttle over to the ship um and and meeting scotty it's like slow and it takes a while and it's this whole thing but what i like about yeah. it is like if you're watching the engineer who's working on the transporter they've got two um uh 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 like what are those called? The 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 thing that you like push up and down. Um, plunger, a lever? A l- no, not a lever. Well, kind of like a lever, plunger. but like more like like or on slider. Your mixer. A slider, yes. Slider. Two yeah, sliders, plunger. and they are sliding one. One is up and one is down, and then they're switching them. You know, but it's like <laughs> it's like oh, because one is controlling destination and the other one is controlling like where you're coming from, mm-hmm. and you're you're. You're swapping the two out. And like, I, it doesn't. Stupid physical control. I loved it though. I love it. I just, I, you know, I just think it's really fun because they thought that through. That's like, oh, this, this would be how it would work. Uh, Lee Cole, a designer on this movie and a part of the series, wrote an enterprise manual that uh, the main cast had to learn and memorize because there were panels that were heat sensitive to the touch. That's like, cool. In order for it to l- look right, they would have to be touching the right controls, and that kind of created a sense of cons- consistency. Yeah. Cool. cool. Very cool. And that's how you get, like, Justin Long and Galaxy Quest-level nerds. Right. That- 
because well, like, it's I, there if you I, want. To, I you love know? that. I I love that he did that. Um, all, but I also love it the way like that Doctor Who does it, which is just like they build a new Doctor no, no, a Tardis, no, no, no. and then they're like. Figure out how it works, actor playing the doctor, because you need to uh-huh. like redo. You need to do the same actions for everything every time. So like they for have sure. just like they go through the actor goes through and just like maps out their TARDIS controls and like what controls mm-hmm. the door and what controls this and that, um, and figures that out. And that all comes back from uh, <laughs> William Hartnell, which he would be like, the kids will notice if I don't do the same thing every time. Um, and so I just love that. I love I love people who like respect the fans at that level of like mm. we got to do sure. this in a in a in a way that makes sense, or we're just like everyone's going to recognize that this is Be internally consistent. Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, you know, then we get the yeah. I mean the the sequence. You yeah, know, the, the, sequence, the three sequence, minutes and forty is, seconds, four minutes. Yeah, something. Like I that. I think it's seventy seven minutes long. <laughs> um, I just. I, I what my favorite part about it is that when you think it's over, it it's, it's only halfway through because they pass it once, but then they are coming back around and then they go around a second time, but this time closer in order uh, to get into the landing. So uh, like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so Douglas Trumbull's Douglas Trumbull's concept behind this sequence was: Hey, some fans have been waiting for this movie for a long time. Yeah, you know, to see, to see the Enterprise again on the big screen, and I can kind of understand, like in a world before, like every Avengers movie was like conveniently, like you mm. know, maybe this was more. But then it doesn't sound like audiences were too thrilled about it in 1979. No, um, but some notes about the docking sequence. This took up two pages of the script. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> okay. The camera pans lovingly across the left nacelle. <laughs> was it? So. What, was swoop, it that? Was it that sentence? But at like, was it that sentence? But at like fifty point font, and so like it just took <laughs> yeah. up two pages. I just sensuously go over the saucer, <laughs> right? And like my writer brain is like, if I use the word sensually twice in a whole script, I'm like, you fucking hack. Think of a new word, you know? So like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, two pages of the script. 45 shots uh, completed at an average of one shot per day. Whoa. God. All right. Um, And I guess to its credit, you absolutely, if you didn't before, you know every angle of the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about, there's so many shots of Kirk and and Scotty having to be like, eh? (laughs) 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 Pretty nice. (laughs) <laughs> that light's on. Awesome. <laughs> oh, um, man. And then after that, we meet Decker, right? Is that the next scene? Yeah, uh, yeah. He he. Kirk comes on the ship. He um, gets to the bridge first, right? And yeah, then yeah. Then he goes and, down to engineering to get Decker. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, and, like, rushes him, like the Muppets. And everybody, everybody on the bridge is, like, you know, the bridge is really crowded. It's a little bigger than the show bridge. Right. And, like, they have somebody, like, floating and working on it and stuff. And, uh, again, in terms of reuse... This exact set would be reused as the battle bridge for the Enterprise D in Next Generation. Oh, um, but yeah, they they get he gets on the bridge and everyone like the whole his whole previous crew are all there and show up. Um, I love a Horus hair in this. I love a Horus hair in this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's so dope. <laughs> uh, and and like Sulu has this line that I think you know you were right, Chris. Like everyone knows exactly what's up. Like Kirk's doing this whole song and dance of like, yeah, you know, they called me out of retirement. I'm showing up. And then Sulu's like, he designed this. He he wanted this so bad. Yeah. But they're like, uh, they say that line of like, um, I I think that's here where they, where they're like, uh, why is he here? And he's like, well, he's our best case of, we might actually survive this mission with him. Um, Yeah. Like our chances of survival just increased twofold or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because uh, he's a he's a goddamn maniac. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, on the topic you of remember Uhura, the part about Corbamite? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know every single prop in this movie, from the tricorders to the phasers, they got re-upped. They got redesigned and overhauled, with one exception. Uh, on the first day of filming, they were on the bridge of the Enterprise, and Nichelle Nichols is taking her her place on the bridge, and she's like, oh. Uh, where is Ahura's wireless earpiece, her her communicator? And the they, they were like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, she has like a, a an earpiece that she talks into. And the crew members that were on the show quickly were like, oh yeah, that's right, she always had like an earpiece. <laughs> and so they went back, they found it, <laughs> they they brought it to her, and it is the only prop from the original series that makes. Wow, it that's, that's amazing! Great. I love that. <laughs> I love it because it's yeah. like it's like uh, Ohara's, uh lucky earpiece, <laughs> lucky mm-hmm. Bluetooth. That's essentially what yeah. it is, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's her like Bluetooth Millennium Falcon dice. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I love that. So then uh, Kirk finds out where um, where Decker is, and he goes down uh, to the bridge or down to the t- engineering, and is like, "Hey, just so you know, I'm here. I'm an admiral, but uh, I'm taking over as captain because." Look, I had a five-year mission. You've never done a big space mission. It's a big, important <laughs> thing. Uh, I, I, I just think that uh, it would be in everyone's best interest, including yours, including yours, if uh, <laughs> I, I became the captain for this, just for this mission. Um, just this one. Just, just, just this one. Just this one. And, you know, Decker's kind of a thankless role because, like, everyone in the audience is with Kirk. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Kirk belongs on the Enterprise, no question, you know. Right. But I kept imagining if, you know, some 50-year-old admiral dude was pulling this maneuver on Kirk. Right. On, on his enterprise. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I, 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 can, I can see Kirk being even more of a, of a, of a dick than the Decker is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you're right. The Decker's not too much of a dick. Sure. He's yeah. Not, he's he's stooge. Well, yeah. yeah. He's not happy. Well, yeah, but it, this is also uh, a Roddenberry-controlled set, so he's not gonna mm. he's not gonna cause too much conflict. Um, yeah, God humans can't fight. Humans, yeah. humans can't fight with each other. Oh, uh, if I could feel anger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know yeah. what Spock's always complaining about. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so. Um, then Commander Decker. Uh, yes, then Commander Decker. We get. I think that I think the next thing that happens, the next thing in my notes is the the transporter accident, which is yes. um something I never remember being in this, and it basically answers the question of like, hey, uh, transporting like teleporting that seems dangerous, right? Because they're like <laughs> they're literally breaking you apart and then reconstituting you somewhere else, like the murder this, machine. 
this basically answers the question of like, yeah, no, this is literally the most horrifying way to die. Um, (laughs) And what's really haunting about it is to my knowledge, watching it, you know, earlier today, I can't, it it seems like a fairly routine error. God. Um, It doesn't seem like something super like crazy happened. It just seems like the other side wasn't doing their job right. No, no, no. No, So so they they had a technical problem. There was there was like a lit explosion and they're like, no, don't don't transport. Don't do it. And they're like, oh, it's too late. We've already started. Ah." Yeah. Um, they, they had just been re- they had been refurbishing everything. The reason that Kirk didn't teleport onto the ship was because he teleported to the, to the space station because they weren't finished with their refurbishment stuff uh, yet. Okay. Um, they were still working on the teleporter. They say that. Get like, it done in they're 12 still working hours. On the, they're still working oh, on the yeah. teleporter, but like, you know, oh, we can fly over by the, with using the pod. Um, this guy died because Kirk said, get it done in 12 hours instead of 20. Yeah, probably. Right. Um, so anyway, R.I.P. Sonic. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Sonic. Um, <laughs> the uh, the replacement Sonic, for Spock, the dead Spock. Um, no, yeah, one we never even learned Spock. who the second person is, do we? No, I don't think we do. No, just They're some just random dead. random person. Um, and then a scant, like maybe ten minutes later, um, more people come in through the transport, yes. and <laughs> we we hear like. Captain, there was like one guy who doesn't want to, he wanted everyone else to go to the transport first because he's scared of it. And Kirk's like, only one, I only know one guy screwy enough to be afraid of the transporter. I'm like, I'm afraid of the transporter. <laughs> you just, it just killed two people. Just, you just established that it's very dangerous. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Looks like they just had two people die on the transporter what? pad, ready to beam up. Also, like, big tenured professor energy uh, of Bones just making all the, the younger people go first to make sure that it's safe. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so then um, as soon as – so, like, right after the, the, the transporter accident, <laughs> walking down the hall, the, the corridor with Decker, and Decker's like, so we're going to have to find a replacement for a science officer. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> – and then Kirk is like, ah, it's going to be you, buddy. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. And these well, corridors. Well, I can't say no. Th- yeah. yeah. And these corridors were actually reused for the next generation. They repainted them, obviously, right. but yeah. same stuff. And then the transporter room, too. Uh, that one kind of surprised me, but they repainted it. It's, it's the same transporter mm. room. Oh. Also, a cool note. Oh, we're like, uh, apparently, they deduced, like, hey, 300 years in the future, light wouldn't have to come down. So, like. The decks of the Enterprise are illuminated from the ground up. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. It is interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah. So then they go to uh, – this is the, the scene in the recreation room. Um, this is like one of those scenes. The engineering room earlier also felt very, like, grandiose. But then this one feels very grandiose where it's like, oh, this is like – a lot different than the recreation room in original Star Trek, which was just like a small, Awful. empty room that like 12 people tops could Ugh. fit into. Oh, is this the one Cameras with the entire crew? Yeah. 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 This is the scene yeah. with so, the whole crew. A lot of those extras are real life Star Trek fans. Oh, that's oh. great. Roddenberry reached out to like members of fan clubs, like leaders of fan organizations that did like the letter writing campaigns and whatnot and just invited them on mass to like come and be extras. That's and great. 
Yeah, there's even like a special feature on the Blu-ray set of the extras meeting, you know, 40 mm -hmm. years later and being like, that was crazy. Like everyone, if you watch the, if you go back and watch and pay attention to the extras, no one is in the same spot shot to shot oh. because everyone's moving around because they were trying to like, you know, be on camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. But um, yeah. I love the uh, aliens. There's like a few like legit, like aliens as part of yeah. the crew which is like a lot of fun it's one of my favorite unspoken star trek arcs or is like slowly watching alien life become more and more integrated into starfleet absolutely yeah it I got easier and easier to do the makeup yeah <laughs> right i mean that's true that, that's certainly true but uh i i do like it as a inadvertent arc as well yeah um but yeah, Even they more tolerant. It, 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 yeah, apart from the technological difference, there's also the social difference and moving away from sort of that uh, human chauvinism. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, so the the whole crew is on the rec in the recreation room to like go over the 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 mission. Um, and this is when they they figure out that um, you know whatever this whatever this cloud thing is, uh, it, it killed uh, destroyed epsilon nine. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, Kirk is like, all right, everybody, we got to get out of here, uh, 40 minutes and we're going to launch. <laughs> yeah. And this cloud is 82 AU in diameter and, uh, our solar system is only 79. So, wow. Wee. Yeah. That's, that's it kind of, one. yeah. And it, it goes into cloud. like, it's, it's really fun brain candy. You know, it's almost like reading a sci-fi story, trying to wrap your head around a cloud bigger than our solar system. Yeah. That's like malevolent and coming I mean, like towards they, us. They said that line like 82 AU and I'm like, wait, how big it? So AU is like the sun to the earth. How many is the whole thing? Radius 39. So wow. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Google. Confirm. That's big. Um, so at this point, Ahura tells Kirk that the transporter is now fully repaired and functioning properly. And we get to meet Lieutenant Ilya. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. And Aaliyah. 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 And she is um, the bald lady uh, on, the, on yeah. the cover of yes. the poster, which I, I would assume um, would have upset fans. Like the fact that it's like Kirk and Spock and then like some random new character. I feel like, <laughs> like you know, Who's that this? should be that should be Bones or or yeah. Sulu or Chekhov or Aurora anybody, or somebody. but this person. Yeah, who is? I think this? they just didn't care back then. Yeah, no, <laughs> not not fans, but like you know, Paramount. Right, right, of course. Yeah, um, they didn't have uh, to deal so with Twitter. Is, uh, Why would they care? Yeah, this is Percy's Kambata playing mm -hmm. Aaliyah. Uh, Kambata had no problem shaving her head for the role. She was like, "I'm game," but she was a little worried about what would come after, like. Would it be able to grow back? Sure. Mm. So uh, Paramount hooked her up with visits to a salon in Beverly Hills where she received routine like scalp treatments. And they also supplied their own like skincare regimen of like, hey, here's what you want to do after the movie wraps. And uh, she reported her hair grew back fine. No issues. So. OK. So the man who ran that salon in Beverly Hills. Um, is oh, the God. guy who what? cuts my hair. 
Um, what? <laughs> yep. And so he was telling me all kinds of stories about her and how she said that to Paramount, but behind closed doors was openly crying all every day. Um, about oh, no. terrified of her hair, and it was Aww. super sensitive because they had to they had to shave it completely every single day, every day, yeah, every yeah. single day. And he was like, she was, he was like, she was miserable. She hated it, and he was like, the experience Ugh. I had working hair. On Star Trek, the motion picture uh, made me quit doing hair for Hollywood. Um, and so he Oof. just he stuck with his salon in Beverly Hills, and that was it. So Good for him. Uh, yeah. She's a Miss Universe pageant. Mm-hmm. Naturally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unfortunately, her career didn't go uh, anywhere. anywhere after this because she had yeah. a lot of really bad boyfriends. So, unfortunately. Oof. Yeah. She, All right. She was, yeah. Hollywood can be a pretty shit fuck of a place yep. if you're a certain yeah. kind of person yeah or many she, kinds she of got apparently she got into like a lot of relationships with um guys who were nobodies who were like borrowing money from her to be like because they want to be a director and they were like you know like mm-hmm. those those like coked out yeah. like young young <laughs> yeah. guys who are like i'm gonna be a director like give me give me some money and I'll, i'm gonna go make a movie you know baby i just um, need 10k oh. yeah 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 Th- those guys like she dated a lot All of right. those guys and it, it kind of yeah um Aaliyah is kind of a weird role. I mean, she's kind of just a body that yeah. they – she's kind of like the closest thing the movie has to a red shirt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, there is that other <laughs> there is that other crew member that doesn't come back the way that Aaliyah does. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, – but uh, yeah, so she's uh, she's here. This is where we get to talk about the oath of celibacy. Um, also, her past with uh, Decker. Um, apparently, neither the of them knew that the other one was going to be on the ship. Um, womp so, womp. Awkward. Imzadi. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then that's when that's when we get um, our uh, our good man, Doctor McCoy, uh, to return. Um, pulled out of God knows what like opium (laughs) den he was hanging out in insisted insisted on uh the others be beaming up first um (laughs) because he wanted to see uh how it scrambled their molecules (laughs) (laughs) i want to see it you die first oh yeah he uh, he has one of my favorite lines early, like right off the bat, where he's like, "Bones, I need your help. Like, we found something way out there. And how come every time we find something out there, we call it a thing?" Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, you haven't. This is '70s Bones." <laughs> yeah, so he's just he's pissed off because they they reactivated his Starfleet commission, and he is like, "This, I hated this. I don't want to do this again." Reenlistment. <laughs> yeah, I was done. I wanted to be done. I was, I was drafted. Out. Yeah. But you he, uh, did this. He leaves to go check and, out but, the sick bay. And there's this great moment where Chapel yeah, yeah, like, and, and Kirk's like, dude, like, homie, like I I need you. Yeah. And yeah. and Bones is like, okay. And it's just like the first instance of like, you know, Agreeable. they've reached be yeah, they've reached beyond a crew at this point. Right. Like through service they have forged like a bond. All right, fam, I other. got you. But it's definitely yeah. it it's very slash Vicky. Um, it, 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 like the, that moment, because it, it's so tender and so soft and there's a lot and, of shoulder grabs in this. Yeah. Movie. And, and yeah. close. And I'm just like, man, they are like, I feel like they all heard about the slash fiction and now they're just sort of <laughs> leaning into it. 
Um, <laughs> and then I loved like, oh, the medical bay is probably, sick bay is probably totally different. Engineers always changing everything. He's like, I'm going to go check it out. And he goes. And I like when he comes back. Like, how, do you like the new, how do you like the new sick bay? And he's like, horrible, awful. So every these computers, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Someone shaved my beard off. Yeah. Uh, looks, it's, it's nothing but a damn computer center. That's what he says. Yeah. Um, oh man. <laughs> computer center, like apparently, at a hotel. <laughs> yeah, apparently, some part of the the sick bay set was reused for uh, Crusher's office specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um. So, uh, so yeah, so they, uh, they exit, um, and, and they're going to head into, um, you know, the cloud, the cloud and figure this out. And then they, they immediately enter a wormhole, um, created by an engine imbalance (laughs) because they left too soon. It's not Um, really how the wormholes end up working out through the rest of Star Trek, but okay. Yeah. Um, so there's a part in this movie. So, uh, they came before they started filming Roddenberry and Livingstrom brought the script to Paramount okay. and they were like, this ending makes no sense. <laughs> Wait, it, who is, it, go, okay. it goes through a, what it comes out through a black hole. What is this? this is stupid. Change it. And they're like, no, like this works out. Like this could really happen. And <laughs> Paramount's like, okay, tell you what, we're going to literally call Isaac Asimov. <laughs> and if, if Isaac Asimov tells us, that this isn't stupid, <laughs> you don't have to change it. So they call We're Isaac Asimov. <laughs> yeah. And they, they like send him the script and they're like, hey, Isaac Asimov, is this stupid or not? And he says, well, they wouldn't call it a wormhole. They would call it a temporal tunnel. And they're like, We're not calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I just love the, I love the idea that it's just Robert Evans just being surrounded by nerds and he's just like I can't uh, take it. I hate this. Why can't I go back to those movies I like? Gangsters and coke and guns. <laughs> oh man. Um so uh, but that, that that whole wormhole sequence is crazy though and it's also like 7 minutes long. Yeah, well but <laughs> But it's 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 a sequence that's here because nothing has happened at this point, you know. Oh and so they're like, we need to have yeah. some kind of action. We need something to happen. And it's just so weird. It's just like, oh, we're trying to go to warp, and we oh wormhole never happens. Yeah, it's very but random. I, I ugh. it's very random. Um, it's completely disconnected from anything else actually happening. I, yeah, I guess what is notable about the scene is Decker makes a very Kirk like course of action and like leaps into like you know takes charge of the bridge and kirk kind of like hey man like game recognized game like mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're stop okay. competing with me decker and it's like no yes. you are <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that i love when bones calls him out on that too yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's like hey man he's just defending it you're the you're the invading force in this situation man yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no i love i love the realization when um when when Kirk realizes that his original plan would have destroyed the Enterprise. Yeah. Like, oh, and, and Decker's oops. like, look, I didn't want to say anything, but <laughs> the, reason I, the reason I, I took your controls away is because you were going to kill us all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God, I was. Uh, okay, well, you did the right thing. Uh, Good job. I don't, uh, yeah. 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 There's a reason you're the commander. Yeah. 
Yeah, get out of and here. I think like and this is all really rich, interesting stuff. And I don't think the movie takes advantage of that enough because it really glazes <laughs> it over it to yeah. to get on to this as existential odyssey that we're about to go on. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Gotta gotta fly through fifty feet of V'ger model. <laughs> Uh, I love, I love the, I love calling this an existential. <laughs> what did you say? Existential, as existential odyssey. Oh my god! Yeah, hell yeah! Gotta, um, gotta put some wax in your ears before the bald sirens show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, as, uh, we get as Spock. We, uh, no, Spock has not shown up yet. So okay. then we get after we the get wormhole. A, we get a little scene with um with, with Decker and um. Aaliyah uh, talking about their past and like how they didn't say feelings. goodbye and yeah uh, feelings and he's just like it, I just want you to know it's going to be really hard looking look, look at you <laughs> on the ship and she's like uh, cool man I don't know I'm just trying to do my job like just he's like Thanks. she's like I can't not, this can't happen the whole place would turn into sex monsters like I can't <laughs> this can't be a thing <laughs> I can't it, it's just such a weird you know, scene no knowing where it ends like uh, how th- this kind of relationship quasi pays off but not really with Aaliyah yeah. like proper just with her memories or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. no she's uh, dead she's dead yeah God, that sounds um, like an Orville plot line like a <laughs> sex monster that has to be celibate forever yeah <laughs> It actually does feel well, no. There, um, there were those episodes of uh, like the Next Generation where, uh, like, um, uh, is it like spot like uh, Ambassador Sarek and Waxana Troy? Yeah, Ambassador Sarek on the Next Generation and Waxana Troy on Deep Space Nine, both like in senility as telepath empaths, like had effects on people around them mm-hmm. and made the crew get into hijinks. Right. Sure. Oh. Match. Um, so then after McCoy calls Kirk out, uh, for, you know, uh, <laughs> competing with, with the yeah. other captain and almost killing everybody, um, uh, he get the, they get a call from Ahura who informs Kirk that, um, a Starfleet registered shuttlecraft is approaching and the occupant wants to dock. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so Kirk is like, uh, he, he tells, uh, Chekhov to handle it. Um, and, uh. The shuttle approaches, and that's when Spock uh, arrives. And they they like Spock. they they like show up. Yeah, they show up on the bridge, and Spock it, is just there in his spot. Is this <laughs> and Kirk well, is like um, not ready? Yeah. Don't they don't they see him like come on? Because like, isn't this where we get our first shot of one of the uh, the the security guards in their awful sort of armored uniforms? Oh, maybe. Oh yeah, so. he has a line because they well, no, they see him. A, a, don't they see him in his like long hair, or does he completely shape like haircut when he gets there? No, I, I think he is like in long hair mode. Really, when he gets there, I thought he already had I his haircut. Remember. Wow, yeah, maybe you're on right. the bridge. He has his haircut. Yeah, I don't know. Dang it, because like yeah, because Bones. There's that kind of sad moment where you know Bones is like, well, you know, by gum, I'm actually happy to see you, and you know, they're all at least expecting the Spock that they left. Yeah, and. He has gone even further into the Vulcan side of things. And like, I never really like processed this before about Spock, but I don't know. There's this kind of watching it now in 2022. It's kind of like, you know, being friends 
or caring about someone who like might be like neurodivergent mm-hmm. of like having to like recalibrate. Yeah. You sense. have, you know, like, Oh, I really care about this person. Oh, okay. They're not okay. That wasn't the reaction that I like. And sometimes I feel like I have been Spock in situations where in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I don't think I reacted the way that my friend was expecting me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, oof. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, well. And, and I don't know. There's like an unease to that sequence that I just find really interesting. Like, yeah. Ahura even tries. Like, we all we all missed you. Sp- oh, OK. Yeah. And he's just well, like, I, I just want to I want to go back to my my spot. Um, Can I can I have my spot back? And they're like, yeah, yeah man, go, go ahead. Like, we'll have to ask the science officer. What do you think, science officer? And he's like, I don't even want to be the fucking science officer. Yeah, you can have it back. <laughs> <laughs> good i can just stand around and correct kirk every every time he tries to kill us yeah <laughs> no Perfect. i won't let mr spock be the science officer <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's that also that's a really great uh bit and i forget where it happens exactly but there's a bit where um kirk is like all right uh let's let's uh any problem with the, this this plan and and um uh what's his name uh, uh i keep forgetting his name he's so white decker yeah, Decker. Decker is like uh, talks about all the reasons that that Kirk's plan is bad and like suggests some other things. He's like, that's not the kind of energy that I need. He's like, that's literally my job. And he's like, right, of course, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it's my duty to present an opposing point of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, right. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a, Good it's point. a, uh, it's a dynamic I wouldn't mind seeing Chris Pine's Kirk have to deal with. Hmm. Hmm. Like <laughs> almost kind of a, I, I hate to say, you know, so hacky at this point, but, you know, kind of a Skyfall, like no time to die situation you know, where yeah. he, he is now the old guy that it, has to deal with like the Kirk of the new generation. Enough right. time. So when did the Star Trek Kelvin, when did the J.J. Abrams Star Trek come out? Oh, nine. Oh, nine. Oh, nine. Yeah. That's like 13 years ago. So 68, you know, 69 to 79. Yeah. You yep. could have Decker be introduced in one of these new Star Trek movies and it would... I thought about that too, Chris. Like, are they now? Are Carl Urban and King? They got to now. Are they now as old as these guys were in this movie? You know, (laughs) yeah. Like people don't age anymore. I I was I I, I was thinking about that a lot too. And but but the problem is like we don't have any. The only option for him to show up would be in the next Star Trek Kelvin movie, Um, because nothing else is in that time frame. Uh, there's no other mm-hmm. show that's in that time frame, but or even that universe. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but we, you know, but we have another Kirk in in the the TV universe, so that's yeah. right. We do, but he's it's possible, like a but decade behind. Right, right. It's like way, it's way <laughs> young. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. Anyway, but uh, anyway, I, I feel like Decker. I feel like Decker as a character would have to be like a lot more interesting for people to for sure. like. Like for fa- for Star Trek fans to be like, wow, Decker is going to be in a Star Trek movie or a show, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Although, oh, but ooh, but if you did the Starfleet Academy sh- uh, show, you could mm-hmm. do De- young Decker could be the lead of could. the Starfleet Academy show, and then True. Aaliyah could be another student at the Starfleet True. Academy. 
And that would be very in fitting with like a, who was it you were saying was like putting it together? Somebody like Riverdale or CW? Uh, it was it was uh, Josh Schwartz, the creator of the OC. Yeah, OC yeah. guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Decker and Ilea in college. That would be a very. It's like no, uh-huh. we can't do anything. Ah, uh, we must. I must. must <laughs> oh yeah. Decker. We must abstain. <laughs> Tumblr, he, go nuts. Hey, he like he he like <laughs> the, the scene where they finally like have sex for the first time. He like <laughs> flies her. He flies her to a planet, an uninhabited planet, and they set up a camp. We're like, let's See, go to the moon, baby. We don't have to okay. worry about it, baby. Like, let's just go. <laughs> so you flew me to the middle of uninhabited space, <laughs> and I'm supposed like, to feel safe and comfortable, <laughs> baby. We don't even have jurisdiction out here. <laughs> The implication. Oh, God. oh my God! I would watch the shit out of that show. <laughs> the Decker method. Oh, He's uh, just an asshole. Oh, oh man. man. <laughs> um, I but I do like how they they accept like you know that Bones is like oh yeah Spock is doing that thing where he's purging all of his emotions like they're on board they're just kind of like thrown off at first yeah they're like supportive but they know, get it yeah, yeah. They get it um so. He uh, talks about how he has this sort of like connection with whatever this thing is, and um, they decide to like really like drive into the cloud. And Kurt and, and Spock is like, "I'm going to get in a spacesuit and I'm going to float outside of it, and I'm going <laughs> to tell you all what I see, and it's going to be awesome." <laughs> that was that was the well, most was like, like rock and fi- roll, huh? That's like no, I just. 30- we're like 30 minutes away from that. Like they, they haven't even gone into the cloud yet. They have to get like shot oh. and then pa- pass through so many scenes of, of, of just floating through the cloud. Well, great. We just talked about it all. Uh, so moving on to, <laughs> to Spock, the, mo- the next exciting thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a it's it's sort of the defining experience that happens to him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. He's like careening through space. He has this crazy mind meld thing with Vidger and Hurts a crewman. This might have been this might have been my favorite scene in the movie is afterwards when Spock is in his hospital bed and Kirk and Bones are visiting him. Mm-hmm. And Spock's like, Jim, like, it didn't it didn't have any hope. It didn't want anything. And he's like, Oh shit, like that's what I was heading towards. And right. again, it's got very fanficky. He grabs Kirk's hand and he's <laughs> like it didn't have this simple of uh, the simple emotion that you and I are feeling right now was beyond its comprehension. Right. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Spock. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like in that moment, he kind of learns like, oh, I don't think maybe I don't want to fully commit to purging myself because like if that's what existence is waiting for me, I don't know if I want that. Right. Is this right. what my dad feels every day? Oh, God. <laughs> Now I want to call my dad. Oh, <laughs> I want to. I want to call my dad, and he's not going to care. He's not going to care. In fact, if he's busy, it would be illogical for him to answer the call. <laughs> Mom, we need to talk. <laughs> Mom, can you talk to Dad for me? <laughs> when what? Writer, pick up the phone. <laughs> Your son had an experience, and he wants to talk to you about it, Sarek. <laughs> oh, man. This emotional-ass son. <laughs> you know, he gets it from your side. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, there like we get uh we get the like the great scene where he's like literally if we do anything it's going to be like that's <laughs> and I took that personally like every every yeah. single thing we could possibly do the cloud is going to get real mad at us so yeah, yeah you know we got to figure something out and then uh, they like try something and then it leads to the death of Aaliyah. Um it's. <sighs> Very abstract, yeah. I feel like. Um, it's kind of like, it's weird in retrospect, you know, the, the, when you re- when it hits you that she died, like that character right. d- is dead. Because right. at first you're like, oh, maybe she got captured or zapped away, you know. Um, there's this really interesting part where, you know, Decker is like, understandably really upset. Mm-hmm. And Kirk and Spock are like, no, nah, homie, like this, this is how this happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Ugh. Yeah, you just gotta get just, used to they, it. Do you, Kirk is like, do you know how many of my girlfriends are dead? So many, God. so many of my girlfriends are dead. <laughs> and then this one time, I went back to the past, and my girlfriend had to die to make sure that everything turned out right. I had to watch it happen. <laughs> Spock held me back. That's true. <laughs> she got hit <laughs> by a car, <laughs> so a that car. all of us could exist. <laughs> but you don't even know what a car is, you idiot. <laughs> Have you it's traveled like, through time? No. <laughs> it's like public transportation, but for one person. What? It's disgusting. And it ruins the make environment. Sense. Why would anyone do it that? Almost, it almost killed us. <laughs> <laughs> and it killed her. All right. <laughs> uh. So anyway. She, she like, but she's gone for a while before she comes back as like yep. a drone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Scott, did you? What did you think of the model? The model work, independent of, you know, what it did for the momentum of the movie. I I love it. I think it looks gorgeous. I mean, it's it's beautiful mm-hmm. stuff. I just I feel like we spend too much time with it. But I will yep. say the fact that the miniatures hold up to that much scrutiny is very impressive in and of itself. The fact that we can yeah. watch it for three straight minutes and we never be like I'm looking at a miniature good. like that's yeah. that's yeah. impressive stuff. That's really good. Yeah, and I think Can't... it was just a miscalculation of like audience like oh yeah they just want to stare at ships for three minutes so they don't need to be doing anything. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You can't put a lot of miniatures from the '70s in 4K and and uh, still say this is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, yada yada yada. An intruder alert, and uh, and then <laughs> that's when uh, Kirk she's is in the shower investigate, and she's in the she's in the sonic shower. Um, mm-hmm. Because we don't waste um, water anymore. You see. Yeah. Sure. In the future. She's got her weird, like, shower, like, uh, robe that she wears for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real short robe and heels. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of, I know, I know, you know, I know Star Trek doesn't, it, would you consider this, you both have seen more original series than I have. Is that uncharacteristic of Star Trek or was it totally not above, like, mm. you know? No, I don't remember them wearing kinda, heels. Yeah. Because you have like the green ladies that are like belly dancers. Yeah, it it, right. it, it, it kind of fits in in that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, I mean it's it's uh, not unheard of. Yeah, I think the I think the women wore heels. They wore like um like heel a version boots. of heel like heeled boots in Next Gen, right? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I think a lot of people had heels in Next Gen. 
Like they oh. were kind of like a a low heel for it was like a low heel to boot for everybody, I think. Right. Right. Um I'm glad I'm glad we're talking about shoes because you reminded me of <laughs> an incredible thing that I found out about this movie's costume. Okay. Um each shoe worn by an actor in this movie, okay, was sewn by hand. What? And had to be fitted for each actor. By a decorated Italian shoemaker. Wow. Why? I I don't know. <laughs> and is this just something the cast I, wanted? I don't think. I I think it was like just in the budget or maybe something. But like, I it hit me watching this movie. I'm like, I haven't seen any of the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Standing around in the future is hard. <laughs> yeah. But, oh man. Yeah. I uh I I also want to give a shout out to um Kirk's like dentist outfit like when he when he's got like the short <laughs> sleeve. short sleeve. Yeah. yeah. Or um or uh cruise captain. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, cruise captain, absolutely. Kirk's rocking some serious biceps in this one. Sun's out guns out baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how Kirk uh, flies the skies. <laughs> was this around the same time as Chips or like a, year, a couple of years after Chips? Yeah. Know. It would yeah, Chips would have been earlier. Okay. This is like literally the last month of the 70s. <laughs> when you put it like that. Yeah. Oh. Um but uh and so we get like the yeah. weird like, you know, she's Oh, so this is kind of where we, you know, through her by uh by Aaliyah becoming kind of like the mouthpiece of Vidger. Carbon-based units. That's, yes. Right. We learn a lot of how Vidger sees the world and Spock uh compares Vidger to a child. Right. Yeah. That he like he only knows Vidger only knows that it needs it doesn't know what it needs. Right. Right. And, and then Kirk Kirk that, gets to like discipline it. <laughs> and that's how they yeah. like solve a lot of their problems. Their their communication Spank issues. Thank that probe. Yeah. Uh the part where they Spock turns around and he's weeping for Vidger. Yeah. I thought that was poignant. Yeah. That was good. Um but uh uh yeah so they're they're like I I forget what is the reasoning behind them going down to Vidger. Like why do, uh, why do they go there physically? It, it it let them continue to advance. It let them get closer. Um they were trying to get to the center because they ra- you know the rationale is whatever is creating this you know giant cloud is the, the center. Uh the power source is in the center. We can't get to the center. We need to go to the center. Um and they just detect. Damn it! There's was a part she, where was Kirk she telling them set, to go. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you you find out. There, Kirk puts it weirdly, really succinctly to Decker, where he's like, "That's right. We've it's got us right where we want us to be." Mm-hmm. Or it's like you find out that it's kind of been allowing them to come closer because it's curious about us. Right. Yeah. And and they're essentially and, like moving toward a dock. Um. Essentially. Yeah. You didn't shoot at it. You figured out that it was doing communications at a higher rate of speed. You know, you tried to reach out. You know, you went through the the space anus. Uh, you got a probe um, on your ship. You know, you, you, you did, you've gone through all these number of steps. You get closer and closer into the rings of V'ger. Right. Yes. And uh, and so they um, get to walk. They go out into uh, outside of the ship. There's apparently yeah. oxygen. It's a breathable atmosphere. 
um, inside oxygen the cloud. gravity bubble. Right, and so they they walk across these like circular disc TVs. <laughs> yeah, circular disc, uh, 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 like this bridge made out of these circular discs, and it's very like I don't know why, but the thing that it reminded me of the most was like the never ending story, and I don't know why. Mm. It, uh, it yeah. does kind of look like it also looks like the Giants Causeway in Ireland, like that volcanic formation, like those mm-hmm. hexagonal um, things. And that gets mimicked a lot in a lot of fantasy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's like the light and the fog. I think that's yeah. What kind of. Yeah. yeah. I and that and the sort of story. like horizon of it all, like the, the yeah. sort of like, you know, space horizon, whatever yeah. kind of like. Mm-hmm. Light in the distance and blackness. That's all and, very and the in the German existentialism. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, the, the guy nothing. who did the mat, like the yeah. background mats for this movie, also weirdly did the mats for uh, Ten Commandments. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so they so they make their way to the center, um, and this is where we get the revelation of like oh, this looks familiar. They, well, they see they see a, a label that says Vidger. They're like, wait, there seems to be other things, and then they buff it out, and they're like, this is yeah. Voy- this is Voyager, Voyager um, Six. Yeah, this really, thing's been missing for almost three hundred years. Yeah, really cool, really cool thing. I Great guess reveal. like I in real it. history, there's only two Voyager. Two. Probes. There's only two. Yeah. It got yeah. The, the, but they were still... happening at this time. So, yeah. like it yes. launched in the, the Voyager one launched in seventy seven. I think two launched in eighty. I can't remember exactly. But yeah. they the budget got cut off for launching further probes. But there's still budget. Uh, like this, the Voyager program still exists, and it's we're still communicating with the Voyager probes that are uh, like Voyager one is outside of our solar system, and Voyager two I think will be out soon. Um, but they're kind of like splitting away from uh, our, our the plane of our solar system, and in forty thousand years, one of them will be like a light year away from another solar system. Woo! <laughs> mm-hmm. But wow. you know that sort of like uh, terrifying plunge into nothingness aside, they are the fastest things humans have ever made, uh, going like thirty eight, forty thousand miles an hour. Wow! And you know, it's crazy that like you know, I guess for context for a fictional thing that doesn't exist. It would have taken this long to like, it would just now be leaving. It probably wouldn't have left the scope of the Vidger cloud. <laughs> yeah. No. After like all these decades. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. Cause it's bigger than our solar system. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like if you lean back and think about this movie, kind of like, Oh yeah, it's a lot of this. These are some really cool ideas. It's just like like you said, like very Rod Serling. You know, it's a really strong yeah. twist, but I don't think the movie really takes advantage of the spookiness of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. It is one of those funny things. It's like you know the the name plaque, and it's like, oh, these are this is the English al- this is the alphabet. Why? It, yeah. And you know whatever whatever alien intelligence that discovered this thing, it's like it didn't occur to them to clean the thing, and then also they know how to pronounce V and G and E and R. You know, it, the thing did come with a gold-plated record full of information about human life. Whatever. Yeah. I <laughs> I, I also What's this thing? <laughs> Hold it. What do we even do with this? <laughs> Why did you give me this? Yeah. <laughs> it's a frisbee. <laughs> uh, yeah. I um I I also think it's interesting that this the the third act of this this sort of like conclusion to the story of of this climax 
is very similar to the climax of Final Frontier in terms of like mm. a bunch of the characters gathered together in a smaller space, yeah. interacting directly with something that is godlike Crazy. and it's like omnipotence. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, and yeah, and you have the same thing where somebody for the that's there like stays behind and yeah. you know joins with the thing. Right, um, and also, uh, this isn't the first. This is this is the first time that this happens. This, but it will not be the. This will not be the last time in a Star Trek movie where a crazy alien probe is headed directly towards Earth and killing everything that comes near it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, um, Aaliyah, yeah. So Decker chooses. There's a part where Decker chooses to stay behind with Aaliyah. Uh, Kirk's like, no, Donner, what, come back, yeah. and. <laughs> And Decker's like, Jim, I want this. The way you wanted the Enterprise, I want this. And Kirk was like, okay. you want to fuck it. <laughs> I understand. I, I, I love that Kirk is like, did you hear that, everybody? Did, you, did everybody hear that? He said, thank you for stealing the Enterprise away from him. I think that sounded a lot like a thank you. <laughs> I did a good thing, guys. <laughs> Kirk's like, I knew this was all going to work out. I think we all did a good thing here. <laughs> Back in my favorite chair. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and I like, it kind of feels very Star Trek-y, that little wrap-up we get at the end where it's, you know, the trio. And, you know, Bone's like, did we just create a new life form? And Spock's like, yep. Sure did. Let's <laughs> never talk. <laughs> never comes up again. Except in novelizations. <laughs> Yes. The human adventure and, uh, is just beginning. Oh, yeah. I love that. Hooray. And I love uh, I love Kirk's uh uh just just drive. Yeah. <laughs> that that away. Yeah. We're the yeah. only starship around for some reason. Seems to keep happening. The Enterprise is the only ship that can intercept. Starfleet it's crazy fleet. that the continuity in, the, in these movies is pretty like, this is the start of the storyline. You know, like, it doesn't really reset, I don't think. No. No. It is, it is mind-boggling, though, that there, there's a chance, you know, because this movie ends up costing $44 million. It makes 139 Um, mm-hmm. There is a chance that we never would have gotten another Star Trek movie. Yeah. You know, mm. this could have been the only Star Trek movie. And just, like, <laughs> imagine this being the end of Star Trek. It's just like, wow. Yeah, I... That would have been an ignominious end, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I looked those numbers up. It was like, so they originally wanted it to be $13 million. It ended up being $44 million, you know, four times the cost of Star Wars. And adjusted for today's numbers, that's a $150 million movie. Mm-hmm. Which is still, yeah. that's about what they cost now, the Star Trek movies, I think. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> but like, for comparison, I think uh, Wrath of Khan cost... Like in today's money, like thirty million dollars. It's right. absurdly right. inexpensive. Yeah, they really dropped it down. Right. It's interesting to think about the idea of like, you know, is this a better end to Kirk's journey than like generations, for example? You know, mm. like what what would have been a magnamia? You know, oh I don't know. It's interesting. Like Kirk doesn't really, yeah, or any of them. It's, it's I, I I mean we'll Kirk. talk about it when we get to generations. I think they probably should have left well enough alone and just had probably Peter Pan quote be the end of Kirk. Um, I think yeah. that was really really nice way to wrap it up. I mean, but I also get the fan reaction of like we want Kirk to meet Picard. Like that's mm-hmm. yeah cool. <laughs> and 
you know that that movie's not too bad. I like it. No, I, I kind of. No. I think I like that was a better first movie for the Star Trek franchise than this one. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. And and not for nothing. Uh. That movie does get a novelization sequel by William Shatner, ghostwritten by somebody else. Um. Where Shatner's corpse is recovered by the Romulans, who are now in league with the Borg. And the Borg are the alien civilization that gave V'ger. But anyway, that's a thing Shatner wrote, so it doesn't count. Right. Hmm. William Shatner, Air sci-fi quotes. author. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. You know, you know what else about Generations? You really see him chop the shit out of some wood. <laughs> that's that's the that's I, we, we I talked about this. I don't. Were you there on that one, Chris? Where um, we were talking about this on on Versus, but the difference between Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans is mm. that Star Wars fans want everything to be canon books mm. all of that like they're obsessed with all of that yeah. accoutrement being canon mm. whereas star trek fans are like if it's not in a tv show or a movie it's not canon it doesn't exist it's not real <laughs> Interesting. and so nothing that happens in the books no trekkie considers it it's, canon it's not yeah, it's real. never mattered yeah and they're all wow. like completely disconnected from each other they're basically like i think i i had like i don't know 20 or 20 something star trek novels as a kid and you know none of them ever connect with one another they're they're yeah i think there were a you know here and there there's there's sequels or trilogies or like little series that one author did like where it's their own little connected story but none of it is like wider connected to to the others yeah that's so yeah that isn't yeah because like yeah where star wars it's like no canonize thrawn canonize you know everything <laughs> right so they were like so up in arms when they got rid of the EU, which you know, which is what they were doing for a while. I mean, like you know, you had three movies from seventy nine, uh, seventy seven to eighty two, and then nothing, and then you start getting some books, and then the prequels, and so for a while, only thing anybody had was books and comic books, and right. they're like, oh, this is this is you know the only thing I've got after those three movies. You told this me this was real. This. You said this was the sequel to Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah. Why yeah, did basically. I buy Shadows of the Empire if it wasn't canon? <laughs> yeah, right. Does not hold up Dash to a reread. Read. Uh, um, well, Chris, thank you so much for beginning this voyage with us. Yeah. yeah thank you for having me. Enjoy the other um, most of five years without me. Yeah. <laughs> any, yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts on Star Trek The Motion Picture? Oh, man, if I were the sort to um, to get high, this would definitely be a movie to to get high and, and watch. Mm-hmm. Be a be a trip. <laughs> yep, <laughs> be a good movie to like do other stuff too. Mm. It's a good like party movie, like as mm-hmm. in like you play it in the background while the party is happening. Yeah, uh, while playing like churches on your iPod, project yeah. it on a wall. Right, yeah. right. Oh, this yeah. is like a good that kind of movie because, um, like, the visuals are cool, but you know, mm-hmm. the plot is lacking. <laughs> yeah, don't focus also, on this. Just, just look at the space anus. Yeah, I don't know. I think because I think all three of us watched this on Paramount Plus. Um, mm-hmm. I personally found the sound mix of this to be pretty brutal. Um, oh yeah, like I don't know. Just one of those movies where like I had to turn it all the way up to hear any kind of dialogue, mm-hmm. and then. The, the the any kind of sound effect or music cue would just be like jarringly loud, and then it'd have to like recalibrate. Oh yeah, I mean maybe this is just my connection, but it doesn't happen on any of my other streaming services. But do any of you have like problems on Paramount Plus with sort of like frame rates like staggering or like 
sort of it doesn't stop to say buffering but like there's just like moments mm. where like the free the frame like catches like there and it doesn't oh, happen know, with any of my other services so you know what it, i it, it does come out of sync sometimes where like suddenly their lips aren't matching their mouths yeah, like i, it, I watch so i weird. watched the godfather movies recently and uh and those movies are long so like by the time i would get toward the end everybody would be out of sync with like got it and i have to like what turn it fuck? off and then start it again and then it would be back in sync yeah. again yeah. Have you tried starting your movie and uh, stopping your movie and starting it again? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, any closing thoughts on uh, TMP? Um, I, it's a vibe, but that's about it. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's it's a vibe, and I I, I do I, I like a lot of this, and I I, I like I, I really like the McCoy. I like this movie at I think it's at its best when it's like it's most human. Um, mm-hmm. which are those like sort of small character moments and, and anytime like McCoy is in a scene are like the, those are the best scenes in the, in the, sure. like him showing up just puts, pushes so much life into the movie instantly. Mm-hmm. You're like, there he is my buddy. Hey, <laughs> you know, ah, I need a shave. Ah. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's good. Um, but uh, it can be very dry and, and it's. You have to be in the mood for it. That's for sure. It's not. It's not mm. a movie that's going to win you over. <laughs> no, God no. Definitely, definitely should. I, I wouldn't recommend it as someone's for like first four foray into track. God, no. no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Yeah, you will lose that person, and they will not like you. <laughs> Big guys. <laughs> um. So we'll return next week with the significantly better received Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, excited to bring more tales of uh, Shatner and Nimoy's uh, never-ending ego feud. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, check out the Patreon, duelinggenre.com slash support. Uh, there are links to our Patreon, um, our Discord, and our Twitter in the show notes. And, uh, of course, you can always email us at franchiseography at duelinggenre.com if that's the thing you want to do. In the meantime, we'll talk to you next week. The Star Trek adventure is just beginning. Hit it. <laughs>